everyone. Welcome to the Paranormal Sun, coming to you live from Tower Studios. I'm JT, and as always, I'll be your tour guide as we explore the unexplained. Well, hello, everyone. I hope that you've been having a good week. Here I am, as I told you I would be, just in time to get an episode out uh, in typical JT fashion. I've managed to wait until the 11th hour to get this done, so it's about 8 o'clock uh, the night before I have to get up very early in the morning for work. But I wanted to get this episode out because I told you that I was going to. I've had a few things go on, but don't we all, folks? Life is a busy thing. So this episode's going to be a bit different simply because, uh, being pressed for time, we're just going to move straight into it. Basically, folks, uh, this is an episode of the News of the Damned. Uh, the only other thing that I'm going to give you just before that is, uh, I wanted to mention the fact that we have gone over 140 Yes, 140 countries that the Paranormal Sun has been listened to in now. That's just amazing to me. The latest country was Armenia today, which was country number 141. So I just wanted to thank each and every one of you around the world for listening into the program. And again, folks, I am very sorry for the long hiatus, but yeah, I mean, I think we've all went through that at some point in life. Life just gets in the way, so I do apologize. So, uh, folks, without further ado, we're not going to go into much other hullabalub uh, this evening. We're just going to go straight into the news of the damned. And for those of you that don't know, one of my personal, um, I won't say uh, heroes, but one of my personal inspirations in the world of paranormal and the unexplained was a gentleman in the early 1900s named Charles Fort. Charles Fort was interested in all of the things that you and I are interested in, and the reason that you listen to this program. Everything from hauntings, disappearing people, lost treasures, alien encounters, sea serpents, etc. And Charles Fort sat down and wrote a series of five books to do with all of this subject matter. Now, Charles Fort referred to anything that was unexplained or ignored, especially by science of the day, as damn data. Therefore, this segment is always known as the news, the news of the So on that note, folks, we are very quickly going to get right into it. Uh, I will put the links in the show notes later, but I'm going to get this episode out for you first, and then we'll worry about the show notes. So if you go in there and you go, JT, where's my show notes? That's why I'll get to it when I can, but I want to get the episode out as I promised. So four of these five are from coasttocoastam.com. And the other one is from Live Science, which is a favorite stomping grounds of Trey in Portland, Oregon. So the first one here is, it says it's a video, and this is from Coast to Coast. It says, video, alien body allegedly found in Bolivia. And it's got this little dinky tiny thing, which is quite odd. And I'm just going to play the video here briefly, and then I'm going to read to you the um, article that Tim Banal has uh, written. He's the web guru and the person who does these type of things at Coast to Coast AM. So I'm just looking at the video. It is in Spanish. The guy's saying this is an alien. But 
basically it looks like he found it in the gutter. Um, yeah, interesting. Is if it if it is an alien, it is a very very small alien, much smaller than even uh, your humble host JT. Uh, interesting, nonetheless. And uh, I thought this was Bolivia, and I was right, just judging by the way the people were dressed. So anyway, here it says a bizarre video from a village in Bolivia purportedly shows an alien body that was allegedly found following a UFO sighting. The very weird case reportedly began earlier this month in the remote community of Huarina. Huarina. Sorry, folks, it's been a while since I've been wrapping my uh, mental mouth around these type of words. So it says, where residents first spotted a mysterious green light in the sky. Following the peculiar sighting, they claim that diminutive humanoids, again, small, which some liken to goblins, were seen scrambling through the streets of the village. They were miniature beings, one witness recalled, like those little people who appeared to children. A few days later, the odds became the odd incident became even stranger, when what appeared to be the body of a small figure was found in a gutter. And, as one resident marveled, the closer we got, we saw that it was an alien. It is odd. Fortunately for those who find the fantastic tale hard to fathom, some people on the scene managed to actually capture photos and footage, seen above, so there's video here, of the curious remains, which seem to resemble a miniature version of the iconic gray alien, complete with oversized eyes. Okay, complete with oversized eyes, sorry. <laughs> Images of the anomalous figure were subsequently sent to Bolivian ufologist Juan Carlos Ailiaga, who noted that they appeared to show this being curled up, but with little bones. Although he has pledged to investigate the case, the UFO researcher lamented that it will be something of a challenge, as the peculiar remains mysteriously disappeared shortly after being discovered. Isn't that always the case, about 97% of the time? What became of the suspected alien body is uncertain, with some speculating that the remains were retrieved by its E.T. companions, while others have theorized that a well-meaning villager may have given the otherworldly visitor a proper burial. Suggesting that officials in Bolivia are taking the case seriously, authorities are said to be investigating the situation and are asking residents to refrain from discussing the matter. Of course, skeptical observers will argue that the dead alien is merely a well-crafted hoax on the part of someone who likely never expected it to wind up making headlines around the world. With that in mind, what do you make of the strange remains found in the village? So, <laughs> I make that... If it is a tiny alien, and I chuckle a bit, but folks, there are there are tales in the UFO lexicon of miniature aliens, like literally the size of an ant. So I shouldn't scoff openly, but yeah, it it just looks too good to be true. Um, and again, we will see. You never know. I've been proven wrong before. So the next one here, folks, is from coast to coast. And this is something that I've covered in the past a bit, but I haven't covered this for a while. And that's about the Lizzie Borden House. So it says the new owner of the Lizzie Borden House details array of renovations from the past year. So if you'll remember the Lizzie Borden House in, uh, I can't remember the town off the top of my head, but in Massachusetts was up for sale. And it looks like the person who bought it has been busy renovating it. This article's from March the 30th, again from coast to coast. And it says, in com commemoration of his first full year of ownership, the new proprietor of the Lizzie Borden Murder House detailed an extensive array of upgrades to the historic building. The residence, located in Fall River, Massachusetts, that's it, I 
Don't know why I couldn't remember Fall River. Became infamous back in 1892 when it served as the setting for a grisly double-axe murder, which led to a sensational trial that captivated the country. Believed by some to be haunted, the home has been a tourist attraction for nearly 30 years and was purchased in 2021 by Lance Zoll, owner of the tour company U.S. Ghost Adventures. While there was some concern over the fate of the building when it was sold, a recently released report to the public suggests that the spooky landmark is in good hands. Among the preservation efforts, improvements and changes to the site over the last year, Zoll explained, are the disconnection of an antique stove that would occasionally leak gas, repairs made to damaged walls, and the replacement of rotten doors to the gift shop, as the residence also serves as a bed and breakfast for visitors during, uh, sorry, daring enough to stay overnight in the purportedly haunted house. The new owners have also upgraded the bedroom with new mattresses, linens, and pillows. I want our guests to be comfortable, Zoll wrote, especially if they can brave the night to get a decent amount of sleep. Additionally, the museum aspect of the home now has improved display cases to showcase important pieces of history from the house, including various artifacts owned by Lizzie Borden and new pieces purchased by Zoll, such as a Victorian-era camera used to take the crime scene photos. They have also recreated the living room of the residence to more closely resemble what it looked like at the time of the notorious murders. To that end, Zoll highlighted a unique new addition to the offerings at the Murder House gift shop for visitors with a macabre sense of humor, an official Lizzie Borden hatchet. So folks, if you want an official Lizzie Borden hatchet, you know where to go. Go to Fall River, Massachusetts and buy it. And uh, yeah, folks, I mean, the bottom line is we all know true crime sells. Everybody loves a good horror story to a degree. Um, I must say it's not the most interesting thing to me, i.e. true crime. Yeah, I'm interested and yeah, I've paid a little bit of attention, but I'm not as into it as some people out there. But yeah, definitely, folks, if uh, you feel like going for a tour in the U.S. to something interesting, that's definitely one of the places to go in the field that we love. Now, on that uh, on that note, moving from the Lizzie Borden house, I've got this live science article. We completely sidestepped Halloween this year, folks. And again, didn't mean to. It's just, yeah, life gets in the way. I've been back working full time, trying to get my career back on the ground and up and running. And so, yeah, I haven't had all the free time that I had before. Anyway, this one is from around that time. And this one is from Live Science. And again, one of Trey's favorite uh, hunting grounds for articles that he sends me. And this one is titled 11 of the Most Haunted Places in the U.S. So we're going to see, folks, how many of these we've either covered or we've at least heard of. Uh, so it says, uh, so this was updated last on October 21st, 2022. And it says, from a former sanitarium, which I'll just about guarantee is Waverly Hills, to a well-known lighthouse to a battlefield from the American Civil War, which will most likely be Gettysburg. Here are the most haunted places in the U.S., you don't need to believe in ghosts to enjoy a ghost story about some of the most haunted places. The tales that have grown over generations around reputed haunted houses can take on a fantastic life of their own in folklore, and the stories that surround a place can influence our experiences of them. All it takes is a creepy place, a touch of imagination, and a glimpse of something unexpected, only half seen. So prepare to suspend your disbelief for this countdown of histories, of the histories of 11 of the most haunted places, in the United States. So, yep, here we go. Waverly Hills Sanatorium. 
This grim Batwing building is the archetype of the haunted hospital or insane asylum. The first hospital on this windswept hill on the edge of Louisville, Kentucky, was built in 1910 to treat victims of the White Plague of tuberculosis that was then ravaging the country. At the time, there was no known cure and the disease was often fatal. In some cases, doctors tried experimental methods to help ease the symptoms, and stories emerged of illicit medical experiments in which the cure often proved as fatal as the disease. Certainly, the sanatorium was the scene of many deaths over the years, although claims that more than 60,000 patients died here are exaggerated. Yeah, I would say that's a hell of a lot of people. According to surviving records from the hospital, historians say the real number was likely closer to 8,000, with a total of 152 deaths in 1945, the worst year of the epidemic. Waverly Hills served as a geriatric hospital from the 1960s until the 1980s, and several stories about the spooky old hospital are based on rumors from this time that patients were mistreated, including the claims that radical treatments such as electroshock therapy were used. Wanderers, thrill-seekers, and ghost hunters have found their way inside the building and have told of slamming doors and strange noises in the deserted building. Others reported hearing footsteps and screams of patients have, uh, and the screams of patients from empty rooms. There's a bit of a typo in there, sorry folks. Ghostly, shadowy forms have also been said to gather in the building's dark recesses and are said to follow visitors throughout the narrow corridors. Phantom footsteps and voices reportedly echo along the death tunnel, or body chute, an underground tunnel that leads from the hospital to railroad tracks at the bottom of the hill, to transport the dead away from the hospital where the living patients would not see them. Several stories center on the fifth floor of the hospital, where the tuberculosis patients with mental disturbances were reportedly treated. In particular, room 502, where two nurses are said to have killed themselves, one by hanging, the other by jumping to her death, is said to be haunted. Some visitors claim to have seen mysterious shapes moving in the windows, or to have heard voices telling them to get out. Yet, Waverly Hills is on the top list of just about any haunted list of buildings in the U.S. Now, the next one here is the New Jersey Pine Barrens, which is where the Jersey Devil is reputed to uh, be occupying, I guess is uh, the best uh, term I can think of. I haven't covered the Jersey Devil yet, but um, it's definitely one of those things where most people have at least heard a little bit about the Jersey Devil. The vast forested region, now known as the New Jersey, arrived in the colonial period. So the colonial period, folks, being the American War of Independence in the late 1700s, when it was home to several sawmills, paper mills, and towns for the people who worked in them. But its prosperity and population declined sharply when coal was discovered in nearby Pennsylvania, and people moved there instead. The remains of several ghost towns, as well as more than a few ghost stories, survive. The spirit of pirate Captain William Kidd, who frequented New Jersey's Barnegat Bay, has sometimes been seen here, and a ghostly black dog is said to roam the beaches and forests of the coast. One of the most famous supernatural stories of the Pine Barrens is the tale of the Jersey Devil. According to the state of New Jersey, the creature was born in 1735 as the 13th child of Deborah Leeds, the wife of a rival of Benjamin Franklin, who may have contributed to the tale. Some versions of the story say she was a witch and that the father of the child was a devil himself. According to the legend, the baby was born with leathery wings, a goat's head and hooves. It reportedly flew up the chimney of the room where it was born and has been killing livestock in the region ever since. By the late 1700s, 
what was then known as the Leeds Devil had become a popular ghost story in the southern New Jersey area, and by the 19th century it had grown into a local legend. It was supposedly seen by Joseph Bonaparte, the brother of Napoleon Bonaparte, and the former king of Spain, who had built a mansion in the Pine Barrens where he lived after his exile in 1813. In the 1840s, the creature was blamed for attacks on livestock that were accompanied by blood-curdling screams, and it began to be spotted regularly in the area. The largest spate of sightings came in 1909, when, newspaper published, when newspapers published hundreds of claims by people who said they'd encountered the Jersey Devil in several parts of South Jersey and in Philadelphia. The widespread newspaper coverage prompted several schools in the Delaware Valley to close and workers to stay home, while vigilante groups roamed the countryside in search of the beast. And if you'll remember, folks, there was a similar story that I covered in Decatur, Illinois, about um, the ghost. Um, I'm trying to remember what it was. The black ghost or the gray ghost. And there were vigilante groups roaming the streets of Decatur, ready to put an end to this uh, purported ghost. So, uh, yeah, interesting. Uh, when people get nervous and scared, this is the type of stuff that happens. Now, the next one is not a location in as much as it's a whole city. Savannah, Georgia. Home to dozens of celebrated haunted houses and hundreds of ghost sightings, Savannah is often called the most haunted city in the U.S., especially by its many ghost tour operators, who often begin with a visit to the city's historic Bonaventure Cemetery, a tangle of stone tombs, eerie statues, and spooky trees laced with Spanish moss. Among the cemetery's resident ghosts is that of Gracie Watson, a six-year-old who died of pneumonia in 1889. Her ghost is said to haunt the real-life statue that stands over her grave, which, like several other funeral statues in the cemetery, are sometimes said to move as if they were alive, while the sounds of children playing or crying is sometimes heard nearby. Savannah's Hampton Lily Bridge House was built in 1797 and was relocated to its current location several years later, despite the discovery of a mysterious crypt below the new, the new property, which has never been opened. Since then, no fewer than 26 families who have lived in the house have complained of various ghostly goings-on that forced them to move out. 26 families. That's a hell of a lot of people, folks. These strange encounters include furniture moving around and doors locking themselves. The most famous haunting, or sorry, the most famous haunted house in Savannah may be the Sorrel Weed House, which appeared in the opening shots of the 1994 film Forrest Gump, directed by Robert Zemeckis. The Sorrel Weed House is said to be haunted by at least two vengeful ghosts, the wife and the rival lover of shipping merchant Francis Sorrel, who built the house in the 1840s. Francis's wife, Matilda Sorrel, allegedly jumped to her death when she discovered her husband's infidelity, but historical researchers point out that by the time of her reported suicide in a moment of lunacy, the Sorrel family had moved out to another property next door. The next one, folks, is one that you would have all heard of, which is the White House. The most famous address in the United States, 1600 Pennsylvania Ave, Washington, D.C., is also famously haunted. Since 1800, the White House has been the home of the President of the United States, starting with the second president, John Adams, and the ghost of his wife, Abigail Adams has been seen there, sometimes walking through walls or carrying laundry to dry in the East Room. According to History.com, the ghost of the third president, Thomas Jefferson, has been heard playing the violin in the Yellow Oval Room. The ghost of the seventh president, Andrew Jackson, is said to have been seen lying on his old bed, while the sound of his guttural laugh has often been reported, including 
by First Lady Mary Todd Lincoln. The ninth president, William Henry Harrison, is said to haunt the attic of the White House, while the tenth president, John Tyler, is said to haunt the Blue Room. Many of the ghostly sightings and events revolve around Abraham Lincoln. The ghost of the assassinated 16th president has been reported so many times that the phrase Lincoln's ghost has become well known. Some of the most famous of these events are multiple sightings in 1940 by British Prime Minister Winston Churchill, who was spending a night in the Lincoln bedroom. Churchill claimed to have just climbed out of the bath, naked but smoking his habitual cigar, when he encountered Lincoln's ghost leaning on the mantelpiece above the fireplace. According to a blog entry by the National Constitution Center, a U.S. nonprofit, Churchill said, Good evening, Mr. President. You seem to have me at a disadvantage. And then the ghost smiled and disappeared. Churchill said he then moved to a bedroom across the hall. Two years later, in 1942, Queen Wilhelmina of the Netherlands reported seeing Lincoln's ghost, dressed in a top hat and frock coat, standing at the door of her bedroom during a visit to the White House, and she fainted at the sight. Many others, including U.S. Presidents Harry S. Truman and Theodore Roosevelt, First Ladies Grace Coolidge and Eleanor Roosevelt, and dozens of White House aides and staffers, have reported seeing apparitions or hearing ghostly footsteps or knocks that they have attributed to Lincoln's ghost. And yes, the stories of Lincoln's ghosts are one of those things that uh, many people have heard of. Uh, I'd heard of Churchill having an encounter, but typical Winston Churchill, always with the wit, which does make me wonder if he did actually see it, because, uh, yeah, I would think that one would uh, soil himself much more than just have a witty uh, conversation with the ghost, but who knows, it was Winston Churchill. All right, so the next one here is what has been, I've heard, purportedly the most haunted house in America many times, and this is in in San Diego. This is the Whaley House. So the Whaley House in San Diego is the most haunted house in America, according to Life magazine. The home was built in 1857 on the site of a former graveyard and gallows. Over the years, it has been served as a it has served as a family home, a grain store, the San Diego County Courthouse, the city's first commercial theater, a ballroom, a billiard hall, and a school. It subsequently not all at the same time, by the way, folks. <laughs> it subsequently opened as a museum in 1960. The oldest resident ghost at Whaley House is said to be the convicted robber Yankee Jim Robinson who was hanged in 1852 from a gallows that stood on the property before the house was built. According to a newspaper report, as the wagon holding him beneath the gallows moved away, Yankee Jim dragged his feet on the wagon for as long as possible, before swinging like a pendulum and slowly strangling to death. Although Thomas Whaley, a settler and merchant, witnessed Yankee Jim's gruesome execution, that didn't prevent him from purchasing the property a few years later and building a house there. But within a few weeks of moving in, the Whaley family reported hearing heavy footsteps, as if made by the boots of a large man. The reports of footsteps and other sounds have persisted for more than 100 years. The youngest daughter of the family, who lived in the house until 1953, was reportedly convinced that it was haunted by the ghost of Yankee Jim, and visitors to the museum in the 1960s also reported hearing a phantom walking noise. Other visitors say they've seen the ghosts of the Whaley family themselves, and the ghost of a woman in a long skirt in the former county courtroom. One parapsychologist reported that, sh that he saw a phantom dog running inside the house, similar to a fox terrier, the type of dog owned by the Whaley family. Ah, now we have covered this one, folks. The Bachelor's Grove Cemetery in Chicago. This small cemetery in a forest on the outskirts of Chicago has earned a reputation as the most haunted graveyard in the U.S., 
thanks to more than 100 documented sightings of ghosts, strange lights, and other suggestively supernatural episodes. During the 1950s, after an outbreak of vandalism at the remote site, several people claimed to have seen an eerie phantom farmhouse shimmering above the graveyard, which receded as they approached it. Others say they have seen the ghost of a farmer and his plow horse who died when they were dragged to their death in a nearby pond. Some people driving on the roads near the cemetery at night have reported encounters with a phantom 1940s gangster-style car that appears on the road in front of them before turning off the road and disappearing. Others claim to have, have crashed into the phantom car at a sharp curve in the road, but after the shock had passed, there was no damage and no other car. In 1991, the Chicago Sun-Times newspaper ran a celebrated photograph taken by a visitor to the graveyard, showing what appeared to be the semi-transparent form of a woman in an old-fashioned dress sitting on a gravestone. The photographer, part of a paranormal research team, claimed that the woman was not visible when the photograph was taken. The figure in the photograph has become known as the Madonna of Bachelor's Grove and has been linked to the legend of the White Lady, the ghost of a woman buried next to her young child and who is said to walk through the graveyard on nights of the full moon with the infant wrapped in her arms. Now, folks, the next one is famous. You've heard of it, even if you haven't. And that is the Colorado Stanley Hotel, which was the remote mountainside overlook hotel featured in The Shining. So it says here, the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado, is famous as the remote mountainside overlook hotel featured in the 1980 Stanley Kubrick movie The Shining. It was also the inspiration for the Stephen King novel that was made into that movie, supposedly after he'd spent a night there during a snowstorm. The hotel was built in 1909 by Massachusetts inventor F.O. Stanley, who moved there with his wife Flora. Flora Stanley was an accomplished piano player, and according to myth, her ghost sometimes can be heard playing the piano in the music room at night. F.O. Stanley is sometimes out of place in old photographs, a spooky trick that inspired the last scene of the movie. Staff at the hotel also say that ghosts have unpacked the bags of visitors and turned lights on and off, and that the ghostly laughter of children can be heard in the hallways. The hotel's infamous room 217, which featured in both the book and the movie, is said to be haunted by the ghost of a maid who was reportedly blown out of a window there, but not killed, in a gas explosion in 1911. That's the room that King and his wife spent the night in, according to his later interviews. But while the hotel is undoubtedly creepy, the gruesome events suggested in the book and the movie seem to be entirely derived from his imagination. It's now possible to book room 217 at the Stanley Hotel, among other rooms. The Shining plays continuously on one of the in-house television channels. That's pretty cool. And the hotel conducts a thriving ghost tour business. In addition to the ghosts of the Stanley and the maid, a spooky cowboy is said to haunt room 428. And hotel staff say cowboys have been seen in the tunnels... Sorry, ghosts, not cowboys. Got my mind on cowboys. Under the hotel that staff once used to navigate the immense property. So, New England's covered bridges. And this makes sense because New England is obviously one of the longest settled parts of the U.S. New England's historic covered bridges have accumulated stories of ghosts over the years. One of the best known is Emily's Bridge in Stowe, Vermont, about 30 miles east of Burlington. The spooky-looking covered bridge was the scene of a young woman's suicide by hanging in the mid-1800s, supposedly after she'd arranged to meet a lover there to elope, but he didn't turn up. According to Atlas Obscura, Emily's ghost is now said to haunt the bridge, leaving claw-like gouges on passing cars and scratching the backs of people who cross the bridge on foot. 
Strange noises, including the sound of a woman screaming, have also been reported there. Emily's Bridge is now a fixture of Vermont's ghostly tourism industry. However, the town of Stowe has enacted an ordinance to keep people away from the bridge at night to avoid disturbances by would-be ghost hunters. Despite its fame, however, the story of Emily might not be true, according to the blog Obscure Vermont. Another haunted bridge is the Eunice Williams Covered Bridge in Greenfield, Massachusetts. It's named for Eunice Williams, who was killed in 1704 after she'd been taken captive during a raid by French and Native American forces on the English settlement at Deerfield. 47 villagers died in the assault, and survivors were forced to march for nearly 300 miles, or 480 kilometers, according to a local museum in Massachusetts. Williams, the wife of a local clergyman, had reportedly given birth only a few days before. She collapsed as the captives were marching by the Green River, and was killed by a tomahawk blow. Legend has it that Williams now haunts the covered bridge that was built at the spot. Her ghost has been seen near the water under the bridge and supposedly has mistaken passerbys for members of her family. Okay, so the next one is also a city, but this one makes sense. New Orleans. The paranormal has a distinctive local flavor in New Orleans, which vies with Savannah as the title for the title of the most haunted city in America. One of the city's most infamous haunted houses is the La Lorie Mansion in the French Quarter. The mansion is the former house of Madame La Lorie a wealthy widow and prominent socialite. In April 1834, after a fire at the house, rescuers found bound slaves in a secret torture chamber in the attic, who had been horribly tortured over a long period, and there were signs that others had been murdered there. When the discovery became known, the house was raided by an outraged mob of citizens, and Madame Lolloray fled the city. Later, occupants of the building have claimed it is still haunted by the ghosts of her victims. The St. Louis Cemetery No. 1 in New Orleans has something of a reputation for the dead not staying in their graves. Among them, Marie Laveau, the city's historical queen of voodoo, yeah, heard of her, who died in 1851, but who is said to materialize above the crypt where she is buried each St. John's Eve, which is June 23rd. The Myrtles Plantation in St. Francisville, just outside of New Orleans, is rumored to have been built on a Tunica Indian burial ground. At least 12 ghosts are said to haunt the plantation grounds and buildings, including Chloe, a slave who is accused of poisoning the family of the plantation owners. The ghosts of her victims, a mother and daughter, are reported to be trapped inside a mirror in the main house. The ghost of a later owner, William Winter, is said to haunt the main staircase of the plantation house. Winter died in 1871 after being shot by a stranger who approached the house. Winter staggered inside and climbed the stairs to the 17th step where he died in his wife's arms. It is said his phantom footsteps can sometimes be heard on the staircase, climbing to the 17th step before stopping. Now that's freaking eerie, folks. That would uh, definitely uh, bother me if I was there. So the next one we have also covered, my friends, and that is Gettysburg. The largest and deadliest battle of the American Civil War took place at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania in 1863. More than 8,000 combatants were killed at Gettysburg. And in the years since the bloody battle, an uncommon number of ghost stories have been linked to events and personalities on the battlefield. Several visitors to what is now the Gettysburg National Military Park have reported hearing sounds of battle, including phantom cannon fire and disembodied shouts or screams of ghostly soldiers. At a high, rocky outcrop on the battlefield called the Devil's Den, where heavy fighting took place on the second day of the battle, which was July the 2nd of 1863. They've got it transposed here and written 1836, but 
No, no, that's a bit early for the American Civil War. Several visitors over the years claim to have heard the sound of drum rolls and gunfire. Devil's Den is also said to be haunted by the apparently friendly and sometimes talkative ghost of a soldier wearing buckskin clothing, a large hat, and no shoes. Several ghost sightings have also been reported at the hill called Little Round Top, where Confederate troops were forced back from an assault on the flank of the Union forces. Also on July 2, 1863, an event regarded by many historians as the turning point in the battle. It has been claimed that some Civil War enactors who worked on the 1993 film Gettysburg, a dramatization of the battle, met and spoke with a man in shabby Union Army uniform who gave them some musket rounds, which they assumed were movie props, but which they later learned were Civil War rounds in pristine condition. Now that is freaky, and JT's um, goosebumps are on high alert right now. Legend tells that three Confederate soldiers were hanged at at Saxe Bridge, a covered bridge a few hundred yards west of Gettysburg. Some stories say the soldiers had deserted from their unit, while others say they were they were hung as spies. The bridge is now a favorite site for ghost hunters, and some claim to have heard sounds of loud gunfire and galloping horses, while others report seeing a strange moving mist and inexplicable lights. Sex Bridge was on the line of retreat for General Robert E. Lee's defeated Army of Northern Virginia after the Union victory at Gettysburg, and the smell of smoke from the General's Pipe has sometimes been reported nearby. And you've heard me tell some of these ghost stories about people smelling cigarette smoke or uh, pipe smoke, so that is very eerie. So folks, the final one here is the St. Augustine Lighthouse in St. Augustine, Florida. St. Augustine's light station may be the best known of hundreds of lighthouses in the U.S., The first permanent lighthouse beside what is America's oldest city was built on Anastasia Island in 1824, and the current lighthouse tower was built in 1874. Tragedy struck that year when the teenage daughters of Hezekiah Pitty, a man employed on the rebuilding project, were playing around a cart used to carry building material to the site. The cart broke loose and slid down the hill, and both girls were drowned. It is said that the laughter of the two girls at play can be heard around the tower at night, and the ghost of the older girl is said to have been seen, wearing the blue dress and blue hair bow that she was wearing when she died. The ghost of the original builder of the St. Augustine Light Station is also said to haunt the garden beside the tower, roaming in fury after a land dispute with the city government in the early 1880s, according to the St. Augustine Light Station and Maritime Museum. Additionally, the ghosts of at least two former lighthouse keepers are said to tread the steps and gantries of the tower late at night. One of the ghosts, that of the lighthouse keeper Joseph Andrew, killed in the 1850s when he died in a fall from the tower, is said to leave a trail of cigar smoke as he makes his rounds. Hey, that ghost is uh, after after my heart. Uh, I'm a I'm a fond uh, cigar smoker now and then. Local legend holds that the island is also haunted by the ghost of 13 pirates who were buried around the tower. But while there haven't been any pirate graves found at the site, an archaeological team based at the St. Augustine Light Station discovered a number of historic shipwrecks nearby and other maritime remains, including traces of the wooden watchtower that served as Florida's first lighthouse. So yeah, very long but good article there, folks, and I hope that you do enjoy it. I know it doesn't make up for me not doing anything for Halloween, but I hope uh, at least that way you got a little bit of your ghostly fix. And if you're in the States and you go to any of those locations, let us know. Okay, folks, so back to Coast to Coast AM. And this one is titled, Incredibly Rare Miracle Occurs During Communion at Church in Connecticut? Question mark. 
And this was on March 29th of 2023. So it says, in a remarkable story out of Connecticut, it has been suggested that an incredibly rare miracle recently unfolded at a church during communion. The truly odd event reportedly occurred on March 5th at a mass at the St. Thomas Catholic Church in the community of Thormiston, or th sorry, Thomaston, and was subsequently detailed by a stunned father, Joseph Crowley, as the service came to a close. Something happened. Moments earlier, he revealed to the congregation, which was so powerful that it nearly left him speechless. Crowley went on to explain that during the just-concluded communion, one of the church's Eucharistic ministers noticed that he was running out of hosts and looked to see if he could replenish them. However, when he glanced back at the ciborium, which holds the wafers, he saw that they had seemingly multiplied on their own. When Crowley later checked the container after communion, he observed that there now appeared to be even more hosts than he had originally given to the minister. Very powerful, very awesome, very real, very shocking. But also it happens, and today it happened. He marveled to the congregation. Such an event is known as a Eucharistic miracle, and these occurrences have only been recorded around 100 to 150 times, with just four incidents being accepted by the Catholic Church since the turn of the century. To that end, the Archdiocese of Hartford have indicated that they are actually investigating the Thomaston case to determine if it was a genuine miraculous event. For his part, Crowley has certainly is certain that something extraordinary unfolded at the Mass. Revealing... Uh, sorry, revisiting the strange event in greater detail at the following Sunday service, he mused that it was very obvious and plain to me as to what had happened. So yeah, folks, if you believe in miracles, that's an interesting one. And even if you don't, um, yeah, those are always things that I just find, again, interesting. Uh, what's he going to join? You know, what's he going to gain by lying about it? Uh, a few more followers? Yeah. I mean, maybe in the past you could say that these... Uh, priests and bishops and that in the past made a lot of money off of these things by claiming miracles but in today's day and age i just don't see it okay folks so i've got one more and i'm sorry i've been making a few flubs but number one i've been off the air for six months number two i've been in a bit of a rush because i'm just trying to get this done so i can go about my evening uh, and go and have a shower and go to bed so i do apologize my friends because i've still got to edit after i get done with this so the last one here is something that many people have talked about over the years and heard about. And this ties into my little neck of the woods here. So it says, Mystery foot found on a New Zealand beach. Authorities in New Zealand are trying to get to the bottom of a rather macabre mystery after a disembodied foot was discovered on a beach. According to a local media report, which I'm just going to open that because I want to see where it is. The puzzling appendage was found on Saturday morning when a person walking along the shore in the coastal community of Patoni, so that's down by Wellington, stumbled upon a shoe sitting in the sand. To what one imagines was their profound surprise, upon closer inspection, the beachgoer realized that it contained a human foot. Police quickly swarmed the beach and set about searching both the land and the water for any additional body parts or possible clues as to the origin of the appendage. Through the exhaustive operation came sorry, though the exhaustive operation came up short, authorities indicated that they do not believe that the foot found its way to the beach as a result of foul play, and they are now working on identifying its unfortunate owner. As they wait for answers, local residents are understandably concerned about the chilling find. It is very unsettling for the community, one person said. We've got old ladies who live just beside us, and we are quite worried now. What's next? The odd discovery is 
is eerily reminiscent of a phenomenon that has been unfolding over the last 16 years wherein a whopping 21 mystery of feet have been found on the shores of North America's Pacific Northwest coast. Yeah, folks, um, and that's, I'm sure many of you out there have heard it. So this is in our kind of national paper here. This is the link. It's in the New Zealand Herald. What's interesting to me is I sit at work almost every day and read through the Herald. Um, I don't necessarily read every article, but something like this definitely would have piqued my interest. So it's interesting that I somehow missed it. Maybe it came out on the weekend or maybe it just came out on a day that I was in a rush. Um, Yeah, interesting nonetheless, my friends. Well, folks, with that, I am going to have to wrap it up. I've enjoyed getting back on the air and getting this done for you, as I told you I would. I hope that you do enjoy it. Um, when will I next be on the air? Good question. Uh, I'm going to do my best to make it much sooner than the last six months, but I can't tell you necessarily when and I can't tell you what. But I would like to think that I'll have a little bit of headspace over the Easter time off and that I can get something. Maybe I won't release it right away, but maybe I'll put it in the queue so that you can get it out um, in a few weeks when I'm quite busy at work. All right, folks. And with that, I hope that you have a lovely rest of your evening, day, wherever it is uh, when you get this message. I hope that you enjoy yourselves. I hope you have a great Easter for those of you that support it. Uh, and aside from that, folks, don't be strangers. I'm sorry that I can't focus on the program as much as I would necessarily like to, but I do my best to get back to you when I can. Aside from that, thanks for all the love and support, and thank you to all of you that have listened in over 140 countries and counting worldwide. Take care, my friends, and I will speak to you soon.